Welcome to She's a 10 times 5. You got it. That's the big 5-0. Listen along as we try to figure out our what's next as we venture into this new age of reinvention. Through relatable topics, real-life stories, and inspiring guests, join us on our journey of growth and laughter. Hey, I'm Lori, former Army Airborne Captain, but don't let that fool you. I'm the loose cannon. And I'm Lisa, a girl's girl who loves sugar, but watch out for that spice. Let's do this. Hi, everyone. Welcome, welcome to She's a 10 Times 5. Hey, Lori, Lori. Hi, Lisa. You're really cozying up to me today, aren't you? I know. Well, we you, have want, a... you want to get COVID? <laughs> no. We have, a Zoom, we have a Zoom meeting today, so we have to sit next to each other I know. and so be cozy. We can, we can face our beautiful guests head on. Yes, I know. I know. Okay, and, but yeah. the, on to bigger and better Yes. New chapter shit. New chapter shit. And a lot of us in this new chapter are looking for stuff to do. And a lot of times we want to And ways to give back. Yeah, Yeah. ways to give back. And that's a common thing in our our time of life is, okay, I've taken care of everybody. I'm going to take care of myself. And also, where can I give my time volunteering or different kinds of ways of philanthropy? So let's talk about philanthropy today. Well, yeah, before we do that, and before I introduce our really, you know, she's she's something, this one that we got at the table today. Studio 50, you, you get ready for it. <laughs> but here's what's so great is that we interviewed Kelly Masters. Yes who, for people that haven't listened, you need to go back and listen to her because she is a rock star sports agent, completely fearless, trailblazer. Mm-hmm. There's not enough superlatives I can use on that woman. But she introduced us to the today's guest who is coming at us from Vail, Colorado. Wow. Yes. Tough spot to come from, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, no, actually, I want to go skiing. That's on my next to go skiing list. Well, I want to go you know, skiing. A, yeah, go, you got a little bit of weight to go, but we, we need snow. And Well, no, I know. I just mean on my next ski trip. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm with you. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So today in Studio 50, we have Seal Foltz, and she is founder and CEO of Seal Foltz Consulting and CFC Collective. Seal Fold Consulting is a company that provides strategic and creative solutions to elevate world-class organizations, projects, and events. Okay. CFC Collective is a team approach to assist athlete and sports foundations and nonprofits reach their next level by providing advice and action in fundraising, strategic planning, board development, marketing, and campaign creation and activation. Wow. Oof. That's a lot. And, I, you know, I didn't even stumble over myself. Mm-mm. I guess today no, I guess today I'm more brunette than blonde. That's good. Okay. Prior to creating her own company, Seal served from 1999 to 2015 as president and CEO of the Vail Valley Foundation, a not-for-profit organization that creates and promotes international cultural, athletic, and education programs in the Vail Valley. Honors and recognition include... Induction into the Colorado Ski Hall of Fame. I think you have your instructor. Right. Serving as the first female president of an organizing committee for the Alpine World Championships. El Pomar Lifetime Achievement Award. Winning the Sports Travel Award for both the 2015 World Alpine Ski Championships and the 2020 Giving Games. Seal serves on the board of directors of W-A-D-A's Clean Sports Foundation. That was a mouthful. Welcome. Hi. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And you guys, she looks like a skier. I mean, does she not? like? Well, she's, she's beautiful. She's beautiful. Yeah. She's she, that blonde. You guys are so nice. I'm just going to be on your show every day now, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's really interesting, and Seal and I had a conversation before, obviously, she came on the show, and we actually have a, we have something in common here. Which is, you come from, and she, if you've seen the movie Great Santini, that's what she referenced her upbringing to. She comes from a military family. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. We we had a little chat about that. Nice. And I'm really excited about this because I think, as Lisa said, 
are us 10 times fivers, you know, as we kind of become empty nesters or in that second chapter of life, I think that the thought and the idea of giving back, paying it forward, getting involved in the philanthropic world becomes a hotter flashing item on our on our to-do lists. So I'm excited to get into that because I think it's really relevant to our audience. But tell us kind of how you got to point A to Z because, you know, you brought up in this military household and then things kind of unfolded a little differently. Yeah. Well, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and I'll actually say that the name of the name of the suburb is Libertyville. And the reason I say that is it's tiny, but I always think nobody will know it. But the COO of SpaceX is from there. I mean, it turns out my brother had a garage band of four people and two of those four when he was in eighth grade now are famous musicians. So Libertyville, Illinois. Whoa. Really, Who are I they? Know. It's um, Tommy Morello from Rage Against the Machine. Oh, man. oh I've heard that. Yes. And we call him Tommy. He was my neighbor. <laughs> and then one of the guys from the band Tool. So it really is um, pretty amazing, actually. That's cool. So, yeah. And I had eight brothers and sisters, which, you know, those, oh, wow. I mean, that's a big family, even back when, mm-hmm. you know, families were more four kids. Eight was a lot. And really, you know, I kind of, we were all in sports and we were also in the arts. My parents made sure we did everything. But when we graduated from college, they had a rule for everybody. You had to move at least five hours away so that you couldn't come home and do your laundry. And so I moved to Colorado. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Year. I know. I just thought, what, what a great place. to. And I moved to Vail. I mean, just I had a friend here and that was it. And I uh, have been here ever since and got my first job with the recreation department, which was my degree. And I'm just going to say. You know, I don't want to say I'm not proud of it, but my dad, who was an architect and all my family are doctors and lawyers, <laughs> the degree in recreation, not that hard. He would, I would come <laughs> home from school and he'd say, how was underwater basket weaving? I'd say, I did, I did have that class. <laughs> but anyway. Got an so, A plus, um, dad, you know. Yeah, I got, I'm doing great. <laughs> so, but I did, I kind of went into recreation and Vail, very, um, in, within a year here, I took a job with a nonprofit organization called the Vail Valley Foundation, but they're very unique. They're a nonprofit, but they focus on athletics, education, and arts. And there's not a lot of nonprofits that focus actually on sports and, and produce big sport events. And so from that, I started as a volunteer, then I got a job, and then uh, kind of worked my way up to becoming the president eventually. And so that's really how I got into Sports was really my entree into the nonprofit world in a very weird way. And even the Vail Valley Foundation, we had an amazing board of directors. President Ford was on our board of directors. And I don't know, one of the owners of the LA Dodgers was on the board. And we had lots of, you know, Sacramento Kings. We had one of their owners. So we had a lot of big time sports people on our board. So I naturally gravitated towards that. And then in 2015, we did a huge World Alpine Ski Championships, which we produce, which is also unique. Um, and towards the end of that year, my dad got sick and had been given notice. They only had a few months and you just make those life decisions. And I was like, I think I'd like to spend those last months with him, which I did. And I always tell the story because I think it's so important for people that when you have that opportunity, you should take it. It was invaluable. And then he passed away. I had a story too. He passed away on the 29th. And on that day, uh, Scott Blackman, who at the time was the CEO of the U.S. Olympic Committee, called me like within an hour of my dad passing and saying, can you come and help us? And so that was really, uh, the timing was amazing. And so they became one of my first clients. And then I just started from there building a company. Wow. Yeah. Talk about serendipitous, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I really do feel I'm a believer in that anyway, right time, right place. And so I do feel like you make your decisions as you can and let fate take you where it goes. So yeah. Well, when you were, you know, serving as president, give us kind of the lay of land, because I think I think that whole world, especially as it relates to like Olympic organizations and whatnot, that had to been fascinating. You've got like because it's it's not just your straight up boarding world, because you've got this layer of geopolitical entities involved and you got a lot of stuff going on. How was that? Yeah, I, I love that. Actually, it's very political in you. When you're in the sports, and so, and I know we'll talk about foundations because they blend together anyway, but in the world of sports, and especially at a fairly high level, you have, you know, your, you have your national governing bodies. So like USA Gymnastics and all of our USA sports, which we work with a lot of them now, then you go to the next level on international. So then you have the International Gymnastics Federation or International Skiing Federation. 
So when you want to run world cups or world championships, you work in that world quite a bit. And when I first started in the ski world, there were, you know, you'd have a big Congress and there'd be a thousand people, 995 of them were older white men for sure. And maybe five women. And to be honest, most of those five women were somebody's assistant. So my boss was pretty ahead of the game. He he gave me the, like the title of vice president just so people, when I was there, would go, oh, 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 holding. wow, good for you him. Yeah, it's like a I bank. Like, okay. Yeah, I mean, so he was really. Um, I didn't really recognize that I needed that, <laughs> but he did. And so in that world, I loved it. It's very political. Um, I tell everybody, like when you're bidding for a world championships or an Olympics or any of the big games, it's like Survivor. You figure out. What alliances can I build? How do I how do I shift alliances if I need to? Where does that go? That part for me was one of the the most fun parts of it. But I also, you know, what a great way to work with all these other countries, all these athletes from all over the world. Changes your perspective. You know, you can get out of that America, you know, mindset that we can have and really start seeing things in a different light. So I feel unbelievably fortunate to have had that be really how I moved into the sports world. So. Well, yeah, and you're also dealing with, especially back then, I mean, it's kind of the landscape has changed since, but amateur athletes where, you know, this has been fulfilling a lifetime dream where, especially in some sports, you know, your whole life is dedicated to the singular moment of participating in a World Cup or an Olympics. So I think that has to be fascinating. Yeah, I love that you touch on that. I mean, when you think about, especially, I mean, in America, we value our Olympics, I think, so much more than almost any other place in the world. Olympics are a big deal in America and Olympians are. And I was doing something after I left the foundation, working with another client, actually, and we were working on mental health. And within the U.S. Olympic Committee, they have a whole division about mental health for athletes following Olympics. Because think about this. You're an athlete and from a very young age, depending on the sport, but usually very young, your whole mindset has been Olympics, 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 gold medal. You get your opportunity and you don't get that. Can you imagine where what happened to your identity? Who are you? What do you do? What happens next? And all of the time, many of our athletes in Olympics, they're, you know, scraping by. I just was down at the Olympic Training Center and one of the women on USA uh, shooting, she was saying, I'm so fortunate I get a stipend of $100 a month. <laughs> I was like, wow. that's a McDonald's run today. <laughs> yeah, right. So they do a lot with very little and I admire their um, commitment to, to really their dream. So. Yeah. Not many can cash out on it either, right? You know, even if you find wild success, it's like, you know, we're such a culture of on to the next, right? Right. So you really have to, yeah, Yeah. be the biggest, like the Michael Phelps and the Simone Biles of the world to really, really kind of cash in, I would think. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, you'll have, and thankfully we have quite a few of them as our clients, (laughs) but, Mm -hmm. but you have those, um, athletes that nobody really knows that they can even be at the top of their game. You know, I'll talk about uh, USA bobsled, which in the Olympics, I think it's the number one watched event this past Olympics was women's bobsled. And there's two dynamos um, that are just to me, rock stars. Most of America doesn't know who they are. They've won gold medals and silver medals and they have amazing stories. And so, yeah, you think about that and you go, yeah, they're going to, when they finish their career, they're going to move into doing as much as they can, I hope, to capitalize on that. But their opportunities are far lesser than than yes. in almost any other sport. Yeah. So let's kind of dive into this philanthropic hairball, I'm going to call it. You know, Lisa and I, before we hit record, kind of talked about this because we're both active community members. And, and we do want in this next phase of life to to give back and whether that's through, if you're able to do it through your, your personal resources or disposable income, or if it's time and volunteership, you kind of have worked this for many, many years. And I'd love to, like, let's tackle the landscape, you know, the different facets, because I think we get shit thrown at us from every direction, whether it's mailers or Instagram or Facebook campaigns, or you're supporting the kid in the community or, you're going to a gala because some friend is putting it on. So can you kind of just lay it out for us? Because I think there's a lot of things that we sometimes feel dubious about. Yeah, I I think you should feel dubious. (laughs) I, you know, I obviously I came into my space through sports, but because it was the Vale Valley Foundation and when I became president and I knew nothing about foundations or fundraising or governance, 
nothing. I had to learn all that, but I was learning it from these amazing board members who were like chairman of the board of Mount Sinai, you know, all big time stuff. So I learned so much, but all the time too, my board would say the Vail Valley Foundation operates more like a business than a nonprofit. And in some ways they might've thought of that as a criticism, but I thought of that as what a compliment, because I think that is what nonprofits should be doing. Mm -hmm. You're stewarding people's money. You have a responsibility to really utilize that money in a very business-minded way. And so as I work with clients now and mostly sports and that, we think of it that way. We think about entrepreneurship and you know creativity and innovation, but also, you know, really putting that money to the things you said you're going to do. So I lay that out because when you look at the landscape of nonprofits, there's a bazillion of them. Here in Vail, we have 330 nonprofits. Now, Vail happens to be one of the most philanthropic zip codes in the country. So maybe that's why there are so many. But even for me, I look at that and there are probably in some areas, seven or eight that are pretty much doing the same thing. And so into that way, I also think nonprofits should be responsible and don't just go out and do it because you want to do it and you don't want to do what the other person's doing. If they're kind of doing the same thing you're doing, don't take an ego run to start your own nonprofit. So that's part of it. Almost anybody can start a nonprofit. So you have to be super cautious. But I do think in looking it out, again, it's such a cluttered field. You really do have to do pretty good due diligence and not even just, let me look at the 990, which is what a lot of people will do, how much they raise, how much is going to their general administration. That's that usual balance. But I would say more than that, how are they, how are they impacting what they said they were going to do? Are they doing that? I think that's always got to be the first question. Anybody who wants to support an organization has got to look at first. And how do you measure that? You work with an athlete that does, what, the soldiers, which is Christian? Yeah, Christian McCaffrey's. His is really about uh, veteran suicide. Is veteran, really okay. Uh-huh. On yeah. If that's something I'm passionate about, how do I check and say, you know what, I want, I, I want to get involved in that foundation. How do I do my due diligence? First off, I would say if an organization isn't doing their own reporting back on that, on outcomes, then I would have a question mark because that's old school. I would say 10 years ago, nonprofits didn't really do a lot of reporting back about what their impact. They would really just say, hey, we're here. We're nice people. Look at our board of directors. Here's what we do. We have great materials. There's different ways to have people feel like, oh, they seem legit. I think now, especially in the last five years, because we're transitioning from one kind of a donor um, to more of a VC-minded donor that is saying, I'm making an investment in you. What is what is the outcome of my investment? So most nonprofits have made that transition to saying, impact. Here's what our impact is. Here's how many kids we reached. Here's their grading, you know, their reading levels elevated. This happened, whatever their mission is, they should be able to provide measurable outcomes of what they've done with the support that they've received. I would say if an organization doesn't have measurable outcomes, that would be a flag for me. Oh, that's great input. The world of sports has become almost equivalent to like a a secondary Hollywood. We all idolize athletes. They're they're doing so many things within pop culture. They're kind of their own walking brand, so to speak. So you're in that world primarily with what you do in coaching and consulting. What is that like? And it's kind of, for me, it's like, I feel like every prominent athlete has something that they, yeah. Right, a foundation or something they support. Yeah. How does that work? And No, it's such a good question. I mean, yes. Uh, Again, a little bit old school. It was that athletes in some ways were told, if you want to make a difference, you should start a foundation. I actually usually tell them, don't do that. A foundation is like the last thing you should do once you've already done some other things. I mean, if you start a foundation, you're married. I mean, that is your foundation. You've got responsibilities to it. You've got, I mean, there's governance and reporting, but there's also keep that thing moving and doing good work. So we always tell athletes it's good to start with a campaign or even partnering with an existing nonprofit that's doing what you care about and seeing how that goes first. So our coaching of athletes is that, but I'd say, you know, one of the things we were talking about is a lot of our, our athletes, especially in these challenging times, you know, the last five years, I would probably look at and say, we've had a lot of issues, right? I mean, a thousand different causes that are cause of the moment and cause of the day. Athletes and celebrities for sure too, but very much so athletes, there can be a lot of pressure on them to, you need to participate in this. You need to care about this also, whether it's 
climate change or any anything. I hate mm-hmm. to get into some of the topics, but there's a lot of topics that there's almost this forcing of if you don't do this, you must not care. Yeah, you're you not you're not on board, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you know that's a hard thing for an athlete because they do feel like no, I need to be all about social justice. I need to be all about this. I need to be all about that. I don't think they do, and I don't think we should expect them to do that. Nor do I think we should expect that of ourselves in how we choose to do our charitable efforts or our engagement. So we always tell our athletes, find the thing that really resonates in your heart. It doesn't have to be everything. Let go of the pressure of you know social media and the public, mm-hmm. but really focus in on the thing that feels right to you. Because if it's right to you, then that's going to be the right thing to do a hundred times. So I'd say that for individuals also, you know, don't just in the moment when it seems like this is the thing we should all be supporting. I'm not a fan of just jumping on board with that. I would say a lot of times there's organizations that have been at the front that it turns out are not very strong in governance or really managers of their money that's going on right now. And so don't kind of, I don't want to say don't be duped, but don't let the emotions of the community move your personal emotions, really look into that. And if it doesn't really move you or if it's, it might move you, but there might be four things you care more about, then go ahead and feel confident to go ahead and support the, everything needs support. I mean, nonprofits to me, as much as I get on the case that I don't think they're very well, the oversight of them, I don't think is very good. And I think a lot of them are not great business managers of their business. I also think if it weren't for nonprofits, the, the ill of this world would be so much worse. I mean, if you look at Haiti, most of the work that's being done in Haiti is being done by private nonprofit organizations and volunteers. So mm-hmm. that is the bedrock of this country for sure. And I'm so thankful for it. But I do think we also want to be, let's elevate those that are doing the work in the ways that it needs to be done and not just under a banner of a brand. Yeah, that's very well said. You know, you, you said something really, I think that I feel is you get in your community and we're from San Diego, and I have said I over and over again that we're a big, small town. Mm-hmm. And I got to think athletes feel this way, too, is when you're part of a community and, and maybe you're a leader within the community, there is that you know, insane pressure to kind of conform to your ecosystem around you. Would you say that's correct? A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah, we have. So in my company, we represent a lot of the Olympic sports, which is more cut and dried in some ways. But I'd also say that group gets pressured all the time. So they're like, should we run a campaign? It's, you know, this, it's this month. Should we run a campaign for this? I was like, is that an issue for you? I mean, you think about where's your core, but athletes much more so. And so we are always, again, we try to give good counsel to them. And there are some athletes who there's seven issues that really move them, then go for it. Right. But, you know, we have one, I'm trying not to use any of the names of my clients, but I will use Christian McCaffrey A because we adore him also, but he's been very active and he's a football player for the Carolina Panthers. And he really is a guy who just goes with his gut. He's kind of like, I think this is the right thing to do. And we don't pull data. We don't read like what's common and what's popular out there. We listen to Christian and Christian listens to his gut. And we're like, let's do that. And almost hundred percent of the time it has been the right thing to do. And it's resonated with the people who are in his life or around his life. So to me, He's, even though he's this young, I'll call him a kid. He'd hate that, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, God bless him for having the fortitude to say, this is what, that this is what I feel. And this is what I will, I think we should be doing. And that's really takes a lot of guts to be honest, to do that. And so not everybody has that confidence in what they believe or comfort level in being able to stay on, on their own course. Yeah. I love that. One of the things, you know, you're, you're, talking a lot about people with a lot of resources, financial resources, what would your advice, would your advice be the same to people who don't necessarily have that much financial resources to give maybe, or what would, would make your advice different? Yeah, no, I actually think very much so, you know, um, well, the Vail Valley Foundation, Vail's got a very high net worth population here, but we also have a, a very large population of a, a, a large working, working class population, mm-hmm. obviously. And I remember when I first became president of the foundation, we had like 50 people who were giving 50,000 a year. This is a long time ago. That was a lot of money. And I went to go meet with one of them in New York. And he said, yeah, that's nice. How many grassroots donors, how many people are giving you 50 bucks? And I was like, I don't know. It's like 10. And that's pretty much right, by the way. And he said, then you're failing. 
because every organization, you should be appealing, you should be working to, to build a groundswell of support among those in your community or in the community of your purpose that that they're willing to give you $50, even if $50 is all they have, that that really demonstrates that you're meeting their objectives and their needs. Mm -hmm. So I actually think for every organization, they should be looking very hard at that grassroots donor and saying, how can I serve you? Am I meeting what you're looking for? To me, that is much more the bellwether of an organization doing its work than it is about, you know, 10 donors who are giving a million dollars a year. God bless the ten donors are getting a million dollars a year. Sure, everybody needs that too. But if there's not that grassroots, really, I'm in it. Um, there's something about that. There's an organization; they were a client of ours. I love them. I will say their name too. It's called a Walk on Water, and they are based in LA. And it's a bunch of professional surfers. And every other week, they go out and they take kids with mental disabilities or challenges, and they surf with these kids and they give the families kind of the day off and the families have a beach day and they do all these things for the families. But these pro surfers are with these kids who sometimes autism or they're not speaking or a lot of different stuff. And it changes these kids' lives. And at the end of the day, you see the surfers crying and the kids are crying. The are crying. And what I love about them is, you know, they were super dysfunctional when we took that. <laughs> they know this, but they're just amazing. They probably have 1500 volunteers. They have, they have wow. turned volunteers away all the time because the work is so rewarding. So right. when you can see something like that, to me, that's really compelling. Yeah. I am so glad you said that because, you know, every, I think, foundation or charitable campaign, let's just say, it really frustrates me. And I and this is where I get, you know, you obviously have your anchors. You, you really, you know, if you have someone that takes a, you know, puts enough money to put a flag, you know, in this thing to give it credibility or or some type of, you know, momentum, so to speak. But it, it's really hard when you are trying to raise money year over year and it's you're hitting up the same people because you're not your messaging and how it's being executed is not touching your everyday person. So you have 10 people that are carrying the weight of the world of this campaign or this foundation on their backs and 80 percent that are involved or benefiting from it are kind of just on the sidelines watching you do that. Yeah, no, uh Completely true also. And I think that's so true. I do think, again, if you're going to look at a healthy organization versus an unhealthy one, which is, I really think what people want, you do want to be able to see where all of the oars are in the water pulling together. And so some might have a bigger oar, but that everybody is really invested in that. You know, and there's an old adage, you know, time, talent, treasure. That's how you look for board members. Can they get their time or their money? Or do they have a specific skill? That's always going to be true also. And I think that when something moves your heart, it will move you to participate in, in a way that works best for you. That organization should embrace that in whatever it is. So when you find that, it's like matchmaking. <laughs> uh, my sister, she lives in South Carolina, but she has a saying, I don't even know what it means. There's a monkey for every tree. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's the goofiest thing. I use it all of the time because I do think that's true of nonprofits as well. You know, here in Vail, the Vail Valley Foundation is a very big dog. You know, when I was there, it was 25 million a year, which is actually quite large for such a small community. But everybody would look at the Vail Valley Foundation's donors. They'd look at a program from a dance festival or something and go, I need every other nonprofit be like, how do I get that guy? How do I get that guy? And I'm yeah. like, find, find a guy who cares about what you do, right? And so that guy is going to be so loyal to you because you're meeting, you know, you're meeting him where he is. And so right. I think for organizations, and for the people who are looking for that organization, it will feel like a match is made when you find the right one for you. Mm, right. Let me ask you this, because this is kind of the, the new age phenomenon of, uh, you know, and technology. We God bless it, right? So there are more campaigns that happen on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, for God's sakes, than McDonald's sells hamburgers. You know, and, and it's funny, I was talking to my husband and we we were laughing. It's just like, you know, with in, you know, end of the year stuff and you're doing taxation and it's like, okay, give me all your stuff. And I'm looking at all of these and I think it's little like whack-a-mole, right? That I'm, okay, I'll give 50 bucks here or a hundred bucks to that or whatever. And it adds up. Gotcha. So Right. What's your advice there? It's like because then I was sitting there looking, I'm like, I don't even know, like I gave X, you know, a couple hundred bucks to this and I don't even know what it is anymore. It's, it doesn't exist. And mm -hmm. so what's your thoughts there? Because I think that is a big thing, too, because it seems minute, but it adds up over time. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's two different paths on that. One of the times when you're doing it, say a Facebook campaign and somebody that your friends on Facebook puts one out there, you want to support that person because they're your friend. I would do that because that is when we talk about time, count, treasure, that person is taking their time to say, I'll use my contacts to raise as much as I can because I really care about this organization. So I'd encourage people that if you have the resources and somebody you want to support, then do that because you may not care as much about that organization that they care about, but you care about that person. Person. And that person is reaching out to you to ask for your support. Mm -hmm. I support them. I would say don't, again, the guilt giving, I'm never a fan of guilt giving. So if that's what it feels like to you where, you know, the pitches you really should be doing this. If you really were a better person, you would be doing that. I would avoid that like the plague, to be honest. So I would always say in your giving process, find the one that moves your heart first that you care about, that you would go out and ask everybody else to support because you Uh, love it so much. That's your first one. The second one is for the people you love, help support the things that they love. I think that's the second one. Outside of those two parameters, I don't know that I'd say, you know, you should be giving everywhere. I think everybody, you know, again, there's a lot of people. I think the goal is let's get everybody to be supporting something. I think that's a, a big movement right there. If we got that. Yeah. Well, and you said something key too, is that I believe time is currency, right? Mm-hmm. So I may be able to, you know, give 50 bucks on a Facebook campaign, but am I willing to roll up my sleeves if it's something within my community and give my time? And I think, you know, that's a big bellwether because if you are able to give your time and willing to do so, I almost think that that's a bigger kind of litmus test of how passionate you are about what you're doing, right? I think it is too. And I do think also, I mean, supporting an organization should make you feel good, right? Not right. even just writing a check, but that you're helping at the end of the day, It's not about the organization. It's about what is the organization doing to make the world a better place, to affect Mm -hmm. the things that they said they're going to do. I was just um, on my way up to L.A. I was in San Diego on my way to L.A. I have a brother who lives in Orange County, and I stopped to have lunch with him. And I was telling him about another nonprofit that we're working with, and and we discovered this husband wife team that are feeding the homeless, the dogs of the homeless in L.A., by themselves. And it's an organization that we are starting an organization that wanted to do that, but we don't want to duplicate. So we are looking, we found these guys, they're called Blankets of Love in LA. It's a husband and a wife. They're a miracle to me. So we've had a couple of calls with them. They turned their garage into a warehouse to accept people's dog food. They deliver, they take their van and they deliver 5,000 pounds of dog food every week to shelters. Now you have these homeless who don't have to decide between them eating or their dogs now. So, and it is a program we're going to run on a national program. So we'll work with them, but just what they've been doing all on their own, because they saw a need, they wanted to do it. The amount of time and effort they have put into this program is amazing. Just the two of them. And then they have a lot of volunteers. So I was telling my brother about this. He lives in Orange County. He goes, I would like to volunteer once a week for that. I'll, I'll drive there. I'd like to spend the day. I'd like to help them. And so I just partnered them up and he just came back. He said, that was the single most fulfilling day I've ever had in my life. Oh, I love that. That's so great. That's how you should feel. Yeah. That's how you should feel when you're giving that because it's, it's, serves our souls as much as the people that we're giving to. And, and, and that might be sound selfish to say it like that, but that's, that's just the truth. I think that's amazing. Yeah. And I think, I mean, time is, time is a currency. And so I think it's, I don't think it's selfish to say in the time that I give, I need to be able to feel like it's been worth my giving Mm -hmm. of that. And Mm -hmm. so I do think as people figure out what they want to spend their time doing and in the charitable space, you want to walk away with that. Yeah. I I have an expression I use, Seal, it's called psychic income. It's basically, (laughs) yeah, basically it's, I'm at a point in my life, you know, a second chapter person, if if my time, whether that's through a job or a project or a passion project, like a charitable organization, if I'm not feeling good about my investment, then it's not worth it. Yeah. It's just not worth it, you know, because I think you do want to f- have those feelings of like, I'm making a difference. And, and I think what's so mm-hmm. great about when you do get involved in the world of philanthropy it's, again, not just writing the check, but if you're involving yourself and your heart and your contacts and your network, it puts things in perspective. You spend the day with someone who's like a whole, we have a lot of homeless organizations that myself and my kids, you know, have worked with. 
you you get in the car and you drive home and you have a different kind of feeling of appreciation right. for what you have and where you are and where your feet are planted, right? Yeah, I feel this way on everything. And again, I mean, nonprofits, they, you know, they can be social services, they can be arts and music, they can be a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Different things feed different people's soul. Seldom, I would say, is anybody just singularly focused in one direction. I would say most people would say, I love classical music. I want to support that. I want to make sure it has life and breath and continues. So that's so important. But then they probably also have another path where like, but this is also, I do think, you know, life is short, um, whether you're in the first half of it or the second half of it, right. we measure it. And we should be looking at that measurement and saying, you know, every last breath that I'm giving, I'd like that breath to be something that either makes me feel good, makes a difference for somebody else to feel good, or, you know, is something that's just needed. And so, yeah, I feel like, obviously, I'm a huge fan of charitable work and nonprofits and all that comes of that. I think that is such a movement. Um, But I do always encourage people, find the one that moves you and don't feel guilty if something doesn't move you. If it's the movement of the day and it doesn't move you, then don't, don't worry about it. There's going to be something that really does. Yeah. I love it. Lisa, how do you, like, I feel pressure a lot, you know, especially when we have someone we know that's behind a a cause. Don't, don't yeah, you kind I mean, of feel a little bit like, uh, I got to give just because? Yeah, it depends. I mean, if it's someone we know and, and yeah, I participate because I want to be a part of what they're putting together. And it usually entails an evening or a something and we're all together. And then I know it's going towards a great um, cause, but I definitely would feel bad if I didn't participate in that with our friends. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think too, you guys, I mean, there's so many different ways to do it. Gala events, fundraising events. Those are the ones that seem less effective to be honest, because it's more about, let me go have, you know, a good chicken dinner and Mm -hmm. see some people and wear a cute outfit. Right. That's how I look at it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But at the end of the day too, a lot of organizations that is their mechanism to raise money you know, if you don't have a development team and you don't have staff, sometimes putting on an event and having volunteers help that is how you'll generate the money to keep, you know, the lights on and, and the wheels in motion. And so, again, looking at different organizations, some of them are not. Some of them are a more of a PR machine. Let's get out there. Let's have people see us. Again, not that there's anything wrong with that, but just know, you know, which path you're going down as you go down. And I think. Yeah, right. That's really good feedback. Yes. Okay, so Seal, you, you knew I was going to go here. So you work with a lot of, you know, and this is kind of off topic of the philanthropy. I just want to know for personal reasons. What's it like working with high profile people and athletes? I know you've told me on the phone, Lindsey Vaughn, who um, I have a major girl crush on. You've you mentioned should. on this she interview, Christian, and I've got cougar mentality with that one. So <laughs> is it like... Do you sometimes have to eye roll with some of these people or is it genuinely really rewarding? And like, tell me about that world. I mean, I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I would say, uh, uh, well, celebrities, because I dealt with quite a few celebrities at the Bell Valley Foundation still now. Uh, yeah, in a thousand ways are different animals from athletes and they have different, you know, nuances to them, I think. Mm-hmm. Athletes for me, I, I get them more. I mean, and they are just driven when they're on, they're on. Right. And so you have to, in being working with them, you kind of have to say, I won't be speaking to you for the next five months. And I'm okay with that because they're so focused and you just can't break their focus at all. Sure. Right. Then when they're off of that, then they become, you know, I would say, depending on the athlete, what we have found is the sport that they're in makes an enormous difference. Oh, yeah. Artistic swimming, which is the old synchronized swimming. One of our clients they're amazing. We love working with them, but I'm going to say they are the single most detailed <laughs> individuals and groups we have ever seen in our life. I, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. We'll draft a sentence out and think, okay, we're good to go. But it's, I don't know, maybe this word should be a little bit different than that word. And it makes a hundred percent sense because that their sport, think about how absolutely perfect. Every yeah, half a second is like, so, yeah, you know, a deduction yeah. on off of 10, right? Yeah. Yeah, difference between the gold and the silver right there. So so when you know the sport that they're in, there is kind of that lumping together of them. You know, we have USA Boxing. God bless them. I just love them. <laughs> they're kind of like, we, we don't care. <laughs> We're yeah. Sport of redemption, move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, so I do think in that, but I would say with athletes, they're very disciplined. You know, they really think through 
they really are thinking through. They're very smart. They put a lot of process into what they're doing. I think people don't think that. Um, but if you realize the difference in almost every sport for an Olympian or a football player between success and failure, it's a very thin line. And so they have to do every, their whole job is doing that, that tiny little gap that will make the difference between success and failure for them. So I think they live in the margin in a much tighter way than the rest of us do. And so you're with them, you have to respect that and just understand that while they might have nuances to them, those nuances they have to have because that's how they succeed at their job. Yeah. That wasn't a lot of dirt though, was it? That's not really. (laughs) Do you have any horror stories, like anything completely like ridiculous where you're like, oh my God, I can't believe one, that this is what they want or two, that like, like a really funny, like that you'll sit at Thanksgiving and maybe you've had too many <laughs> splashes where you're like, okay, I got to tell you guys, I'm not going to name names, but I'm going to tell you what just happened this past, you know. No, I was actually thinking I was going to give you one, but I think I won't <laughs> because they're still fine. Oh, that's probably smart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Damn. Let me ask you this. I mean, you know, I can think of the most, when, when an athlete who has a lot of clout, obviously big name, messes up in their lives and the first person I think of is Tiger Woods and how does that affect their foundation and what how do you handle that in your position oh it's such a good question I mean great question for sure I mean with Lindsay and Tiger Woods at the time Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure what you're you're referring to yeah I absolutely I mean Lindsay again I admire her so much because she very much so as I was saying, Christian just goes with his gut. Lindsay also goes with her gut. She doesn't, she apologizes when she needs to, but I would say there's a lot of times where she's like, I'm living life guys. And this is how life goes. Mm -hmm. And this is how I'm going. And Mm -hmm. what I loved about her approach as she was moving through, she's had a couple of, you know, public things go on. And I feel like she addresses it to the point she wants to address it. And she's like, and moving on. Not a lot of people can do that. And, you know, not that I'm sure it isn't soul crushing and difficult, for every person who does choose to take that. But I actually feel like she did the exact right thing for her. I thought it was very consistent with who she is as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, different people would have taken a different path for sure. And probably that would have been right for them. But I think in Lindsay's case, she really listens to herself and her gut and she goes with that. And so in that case, for sure, absolutely. When you have a foundation, you have to care about how does your that life reflect in your foundation. I think I would say almost all of our clients or maybe all of them, they really do truly, their foundation is hundred percent reflective of them as people right. and they're okay with that. So they'll say, I'm flawed. I've got problems. My foundation acknowledges that we support people who are flawed and have problems. Mm-hmm. And here I am, I'm supposed to child for my foundation. <laughs> so right. yeah. I applaud that. You know, that's the most important thing is that, you know, an athlete who doesn't really feel something sets up a foundation or does an initiative because they think it's the right thing to do. I'm not all that interested in supporting that, to be honest, because I think that that's going to have a hard time moving forward. Athletes who set themselves up and saying, this is what I really care about, what I want to do. They can be as flawed as they want. That's okay, because their heart is moving them the right direction and people will follow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're all human, right? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, the biggest one of all, I would think, would be Tiger Woods overcoming what, you know, when his marriage fell apart and the world found out about his extracurricular activities. He had one of the biggest foundations, I think, probably of any athlete and yeah. I do think, I mean, America is, we like redemption. We, mm-hmm. we oh, yeah. want people to succeed. We want people to overcome. And so I think whether it's an athlete or a person or a celebrity to be vulnerable enough to say, yeah, that happened. Here's what I'm doing. And I'm moving forward. And mm-hmm. I hope you'll support me further. I think Americans, for the most part, are like, yeah, we're there. We're there. I mean, so I don't know. You see that a lot. I do think Tiger, I mean, it's a great point. And Tiger... <laughs> Tiger is like, he's done amazing things with his foundation and he never stopped. I mean, with everything he's had going on individually, for sure, Lindsay began her foundation as an inspiration from what Tiger had been doing with his already. And Mm -hmm. she's done amazing things with her foundation. I mean, really great, great work that these guys are doing from their from their heart. That's awesome. Yeah. And we need them to be doing. And just yeah. like you said earlier, it's that it's kind of a fabric of who we are as Americans is we're a very charitable. Forgiving. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. yeah, this is kind of a sidebar, but they posted on ESPN and my kids and I, you know, just got such a kick out of, they did like a, a video of Tiger and his son and their mannerisms that was just adorable. They're exactly the same. It's like, he's like a mini tiger. 
And but I think you're right. It's like I am I, I play golf, but I'm not huge to watch it on TV. But man, I tell you, when Tiger first came back, I was leaning into that small screen yeah. to see, mm-hmm. let's go, boy. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We just did an event with USA Boxing and that outcome of that was the CEO of boxing would wear a tattoo like Mike Tyson. And there was some pushback of that going Mike Tyson. And we're like, okay, but boxing said, we are the sport of redemption. We have a lot of people who have overcome situations and, you know, we're not canceling them out. We Mm -hmm. support them and as they move forward. So I thought that was an interesting kind of current take on that. Yeah. Love it. All right. What would you say, Seal, would be the biggest takeaway our listeners can get from your approach in philanthropy and and what would you advise them on? If you could just give one takeaway. To be led by your heart. Um, Don't be led by other people. Don't be talked into something. Don't be guilted into giving. Really find the things that move your heart, that fill your soul, and that's what you should do. And don't feel, I mean, there's millions of nonprofits. We're not going to support them all. Find the ones that really move the needle for you, that are really making a difference and go there. Yes. I'm going to give you one of these. Oh, wow. Very exciting. Yeah. Thank you for that. That was perfectly said. Perfectly said. Okay. Where can people find you? They yeah, want. So they, they can find the website for the collective, which is um, our company, is cfccollective.com. Very easy. But I would also, you can pretty much just Google my name and something will pop up and you'll it'll drive you to one of our two websites. Perfect. And that's C-E-I-L and F-O-L-Z. Okay. Thank you for (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm blonde. I I need a roadmap. I got, you know, I need it spelled out. Okay. You ready? You ready to have a little fun? Yeah. Okay. We're going to, yeah, we're going to do, I'm going to put you in the hot seat. And I thought this was very apropos. And I I found it very interesting. I, I must have spent a little bit more time than I probably should have on this one. Knowledge of Winter Olympics. Okay. Okay. You're Hall of Fame. I mean, like, you, you've been in this kind of route. Let's see what you I got. I mean, if it's skiing, I should do okay. If okay. it's skating, I may not. But go with it. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to start off easy, and then we're going to gradually work up. Okay. First city to host both the Summer and Winter Olympics. Oh, wow. In, Innsbruck? Nope. No? City or, well... Yeah. Just, Beijing. Oh, Beijing. Hmm. Beijing. Oh, yeah. Well, they weren't they, that far apart. Either. No, they weren't. They yeah, were um, they weren't. 2018 and then and then yeah, just, just this past year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 2022. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What's the winningest country at the Winter Games? Norway. Yes. Yeah. You get another one. I know. I know. I know. That was a standing O. Okay. <laughs> top three U.S. states producing Winter Olympians. This one was surprising. Okay, I feel like Utah, Colorado, New York, maybe? No. No. Um, but I, Colorado's there. Colorado, Colorado is number two. Top one? California. California. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You forget about that. The don't snowboarders, you? Scott, surfers. Tur- Tahoe has got so many Olympians. Yeah. yeah. We, and they've hosted. And then the third yeah. one is, is obvious because we always forget about this. Until we yeah. watch it because it's so great is hockey Minnesota. Oh, okay, right. Completely. Aren't the great yeah. hockey players all, all from yes. Minnesota? Okay, weight of an average curling stone. <gasps> I have no idea, but the outfits that they wear, really? we can talk about that. Yeah. Okay, we're just gonna I, guess it, right? They do them in kilograms, probably, don't they? Is it kilograms or pounds? Yeah, it? but this is in pounds. Oh, in pounds. I'll say. 24 pounds. Oh, no. I was going to say that exact number. That's no. so weird. I was going to say you 24. Be right? Like me? <laughs> I literally. Okay. So we'll, I was going to say 24 yeah, too. It's, this is crazy. 42. 42. That's wow. heavy. That's heavy. That's so heavy. Yeah, That's the equipment. average. Yeah. Wow. I know. Okay. You'll get this one. Average speed of an Olympic downhill skier. No, I probably won't get that because average would be tricky. Like in men, I would have said the average is going to be. 67 to 75, somewhere around there. 80. Okay. That's wow. fucking fast. It's so fast. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Oof. Okay, coming in hot. Okay, <laughs> we got two more. What Olympics were the first to rely solely on artificial snow? 
Why? What is that? Beijing? Yeah. Um, ding, ding. That, okay. okay, check this right. out. Now, we're from California. We have, like, water is as much as gas here, okay? Yeah. This this made my both my butt pucker and broke my heart. <laughs> oh, God. 49 million gallons of water they used to put on those Olympic Games. Wow. wow. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I know. I know. I mean, their venues were spectacular. Um, but yeah, I think every single thing was artificial there, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah it was awful. Well, there were all the complaints. Remember, everyone was complaining it was dangerous, right? Yeah. Beijing, maybe not the best example of an environmental game, I'd say. No. No. Well, no. Yeah. In summer, gosh, you know, <laughs> you remember the summer Olympic opening ceremonies from Beijing? Okay. Those were good, though, weren't those they? Those were amazing. All I, all I know is that how many millions they had in complete synchronicity. And I said, you know what? We need to be nice to China. <laughs> because, I mean, yeah. Okay, last one. And this is, well, I, I just want to add this one because I think it's, it's if you if you don't know what this is, this is some fun thing to do when you're skiing this this next winter. What's up? Pist. Pist, that's a ski slope. Oh, pist. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Do yeah. you ever go off pist? Off pist. Yes, we, we don't say that. We say call it out of bounds. Here out of bounds. Okay. Yep. In the trees. <laughs> that sounds far more illegal, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, you did good, Mama. Yeah. You did good. Uh, no, I only got like fifty percent. I should have on the speed. I was thinking about that. I was like, I don't know. There's flats. There's this. Like top speeds. Like in Kitsville, I feel like top speeds are like ninety. But anyway, love yeah. that. Okay. We always like to end on a little song, and this is perfect for you as we close out our goodbye. <laughs> and it just gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. What do you think I'm going to play? I have no idea. Really? I'm very excited to hear it, though. Okay. All right. Oh, the Olympic anthem? Yeah. You're a mind reader. Okay, here we go. Well, the goosebumps. Yeah. There you go. Right? Is there anything that- better than that? And the no, agony? That's from the this 84 is- LA Games. Yeah. yeah, LA 84 games. This is where that started. So much of the great Olympic music is from those games. Well, mm-hmm. and then the agony of defeat. Whatever happened to that guy? Remember that guy? Oh, that he played? lived. It was Moose Barrows is the guy who came down Blue. and like, shattered mm-hmm. the shack. Oh, He's my. awesome. He lives in Steamboat Springs, one of the nicest guys in the world. Well, yeah. I, I mean, just pulled that video up to show Tatum that video. I was like, you don't understand. When we were kids, every Saturday they'd play like, Wild World of Sports and he they'd play the intro and this guy would come flying down and yeah. she was like, oh my God. Like, the thrill of victory and the agony, the agony of, of defeat. defeat. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, my well, God. Thank you so much, Seal, for being with us today. You were amazing. And were. may none of us suffer the agony of defeat. Agony no. <laughs> and we can all give back with, you know, some good parameters in mind. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so that. much. Thanks so for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yes. Okay. Have a good one. Thank Bye. you, everybody. Thanks yeah. for listening, guys. Follow us on Instagram at she's a 10 times five. Click on the link in our bio to listen. You can also find us on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to hit subscribe.